Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. This morning, we are going to speak on a a message that I honestly intended to just be like a one-week message. But the more that I went into it, the more that I kind of dove into what this was, the more I realized that this is going to take us a couple of weeks to, to go through. But the focus of it is this word that, I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, it causes more anxiety than it does peace. And it's a word that really should cause us to be able to, to find a sense of peace. It's the word rest. When I hear, hear the word rest, it kind of makes me feel a little bit inadequate because all I can think of is all of the places in my life that I am failing to rest in what God has done. Failing to actually enter into the Sabbath rest that Jesus has made available for each one of us. And so today, I really want to look more into this topic of rest. But our goal in the next couple of weeks going forward is to not just see why rest is important, but to recognize some of the belief systems that exist in our life that either cause us to rest really well, or I don't know about you, but for me, to have a failure to rest at times. That I'm constantly looking at all the situations in my life that I need to be in control of, and because of that, often I'm failing to step into that finished work of Jesus and all that he has made possible for us as believers in what he has done. And so we're going to talk about rest here today, and I wanted to start by, first of all, looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, which says that we are called to labor or to strive to enter into the rest. Can we just know right off the, the, very, you know, right off the top, the very beginning, that rest is not always easy? That true rest, true reliance on God to that level is not always something that comes naturally to us? that it requires intentionality, that, that it means that we have to do something. We don't just become Christians and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I know how to trust God. There's work involved in it. So if you're in the same boat as me today, I don't want you to feel condemned. I don't want you to feel like, hey, I'm doing it wrong, even if you might be doing it wrong. Because we're on this journey together and we want to look at how God wants to bring us from where we are into that place of being able to fully rest in all that he's called us to do so that we can accomplish all that he's called us to do. So rest requires intentionality. And I want to start by looking in the book of Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But remember the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The first question I want to ask today in regards to this passage is, who is speaking here? We look at the book of Exodus and often we think to Moses, but these aren't the words of Moses. These aren't the words of a translator after the fact, looking at the Hebrew and inputting some of his own ideas as far as what might be good and helpful. You see, these words that are spoken here are actually spoken by God himself. 
Who knows that when you're looking at the Bible and you see quotations and it's attributed to God himself, that it's important and we have to pay attention. You see, God himself said that I want you to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. I want you to recognize what I have done and I want you to stand in that place and to use that place to be your strength, to be your foundation, to be the very thing that allows you to move forward in this incredible life that I have for you. You see, Sabbath rest is so, so important and it was never meant to be a suggestion. But often, when we use our own wisdom and our own understanding, we look at this principle of rest and we think that it's a good suggestion, that it's optional. We look at it and we come up with excuses for why we can't because we just don't have enough time to rest. We don't have enough time in our schedules to be able to enter into this place of rest. We don't have what it takes because there are so many things going on around us, so many demands that are put on our life. How could I possibly stop long enough to rest? We look at the the world around us and we see that it is always on overdrive. And so we find ourselves often knowing that we should rest, but instead of going into true rest, we engage in something that I want to call artificial rest. It's the idea of rest without the regeneration of rest. It's the understanding that rest is important, but it's not connecting to the source of why we have the ability to rest in the first place. See, sometimes we're just not very good at rest. And I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes rest looks like, well, it looks more like crashing than it does resting. It looks like kind of what I would assume somebody would do after running a marathon or like climbing a mountain You've expended all of your mental, emotional, and physical energy, and now you just kind of have to, kind of have to recuperate. And so you sit down in front of the television and you turn on Netflix or your favorite show or your favorite baseball team, whoever they might be. Yankees, of course. You see, but that's not resting. That's not actual rest. That's artificial rest. There are some of us today that would say, I just don't need to rest. I'm built differently. I'm just built to go, go, go. I've got a higher capacity. I have, I have a greater ability just to continue to go. I think every mom in this room would probably maybe agree with this just because of the sheer magnitude of what it takes to be a mom. Mom, did a great job. Thank you. But to really rest, to really go into a place of seeing God do what he wants to do in this place of Sabbath rest, we have to understand that there are some challenges that exist in our way. There are some things that often prohibit us from being able to rest and truly rest. And I'm not just talking about physical rest here today. Because what I think is more important for us to realize is that to truly rest and to truly enter into rest, there is an internal rest that Jesus has for us. There is a a place of internal rest that we are called to walk into. And so this morning, I just want to do a quick exercise with everybody here today. Everyone's super excited about this, I can tell already. I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to tell them this. You can't do it, but he can. I want you to look at your other neighbor. You can look into the space, just pretend, look in their direction. 
You couldn't do it, but he already has. That's a, that's a good thing. And now I want you to follow it up with something very practical. I want you to take a deep breath. <sighs> I think about 30% of us did that. Deep breath in through the nose, out through the mouth. <sighs> Doesn't it feel good sometimes just to breathe a little bit? Doesn't it feel good to recognize that Jesus is the one who has already done what needed to be done? That he's the one that makes it possible for us to rest? You see, very often when it comes to rest, what we have to realize is it's not that we don't need it. It's just that, once again, we're not very good at it. And while there is freedom in recognizing this, we don't want to stop there. Verse 8 once again says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does it mean to remember the Sabbath, and to engage with Christ, to keep this day holy, to keep this understanding of what it means to fully let ourselves go into the arms of a loving God, to be able to internally rest no matter what's going on around us. There are two reasons I want to look at here today why we're so bad at rest. I mentioned one of them already. I want you to feel a little bit of freedom in this one because it's not exactly your fault. It's the pace of the world around us. We wake up in the morning with an alarm clock and we know that there are so many things that we have to get done. We go to work and there's responsibilities that we have. We don't go to work and we realize that our family needs to be taken care of. We go into this world and there's such an expectation on immediate results and things happening constantly. And then we look at our lives and we wonder why they're running at such a chaotic pace. Why it's so hard to actually just sit down and allow our mind to be at rest. You see, this is the world that we live in. This is what we see on a daily basis. That's number one, so feel good about that. But number two, this is the one that I believe we really have to work on. Number two, the reason why sometimes it's so difficult for us to rest is because it's really difficult for us to trust. It's really difficult for us to trust that God has, in fact, done all that needed to be done. And it may seem oversimplified, but we really do have to look at this. And I just want to give you a quick example here today because I was thinking about this, about what it looks like to rest. And anyone who has ever tried to relax in a pool will be able to understand where I'm coming from on this. If you're walking through the aisles and you see a whole aisle filled with like pool toys, you're inevitably going to see pool floats, right? And the picture that's always on the front of them is what? It's somebody who's laying there on the pool flow. Everything is peaceful. Everything's so nice. They've got a drink in their hand. They've got sunglasses on. They're in great shape. They have no worry in the entire world. But what is not pictured in that picture is the kid on the side of the pool ready to jump in and do the cannonball. What's not pictured in there is somebody like me swimming up underneath trying to flip the float over to ruin their day. You see, if you've ever tried to do this, you realize that there is something about trying to rest in a pool that you're always thinking about something else. You're always thinking about what can happen, what, what terrible thing is going to befall you in that, in that next moment as you get flipped into the water. And I feel like so many times in our lives when we're trying to rest, 
we have this similar thing going on. We might be able to rest for a moment, but all of a sudden we start to think about all the other outside influences, all the situations that we're facing, the bills that need to be paid, the relationships in our lives that are a mess, the thing that might happen tomorrow, even though it hasn't happened yet, we're just worried about all of these things. And inevitably we think we're going to get flipped over. We're going to be in a place where we're not happy and and we're just trying to, to do the best we can to rest in that moment. You see, in order to fully be able to rest, we have to realize that we are held by something or someone that can actually withstand whatever it is that is coming against us. We have to be able to understand when we're talking about our relationship with God that we actually have the ability to enter into rest because it's the God of the universe who is holding us. And it doesn't mean the storms of life won't come. It doesn't mean the, the, the circumstances aren't going to exist that are going to cause us fear at times. But we know that we know that we know that no matter what comes against us, that our boat, the one who holds us, the very thing that we're relying on is never going to fail us. This was the idea as the disciples were in the boat and they woke up Jesus, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? He says, guys, where is your faith? Don't you realize that I'm here with you in the midst of this storm? Can we realize in our lives that Jesus is present in the midst of every storm, of every trial, of every circumstance that we could ever face? When we start to realize that, I I believe it gives us a greater ability to start to enter into this rest. But I don't think it's always that easy. You see, the truth is, beneath the surface of all that we're feeling and experiencing in our lives are these belief systems that we have. That as much as we do believe in who Jesus is and what he's done, there are these conflicting thoughts that are often going on inside of us, whether we realize it or not. And what we have to do in intentionality, our ability to labor to get into that rest, is to recognize any place, any thought process, any belief system, any learned behavior that is fighting against our ability to put our trust fully in our Savior. You see, this is what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. I don't know how far we're going to get today, but we're going to set some of the groundwork because I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants us to examine some places in our life, that he wants to build off of the foundation, that he wants to continue to build our lives and our church and the church of of the body of Christ to be able to do incredible things. But first, we have to get the basics down. We have to understand the truth of what he has said. And so today, in starting kind of all this, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Hebrews chapter 3, the author of Hebrews, I believe it was Paul. This isn't necessarily confirmed as as the author of the book doesn't make themselves known in the very beginning. But what he starts to do is he speaks to the Hebrew people, and he starts to tell them about their journey and to remind them about their journey through the wilderness. And he points to the person of Moses, and he knows Moses is highly esteemed as he should be. But he says Moses was only able to bring the people into a place of temporary rest. But that it was Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God, that was actually able to bring us into a place of permanent rest. That it was Jesus and and Jesus alone that was able to do this. He is the one that we're called to put our full confidence and our hope in. But he warns them in verse 7. 
He says, that is why the Holy Spirit says today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestor tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Once again, let's look at who is speaking here. It says, this is why the Holy Spirit says. Once again, this is God speaking to us. And he says, I want you to look at where your relatives, where your ancestors came from. I want you to see what they did because as much as we might look back and judge them, the truth of the matter is is that we're all very susceptible to doing the same things ourselves. See, the Israelites, they went through this process of being brought out of Egypt, being delivered out of this land of slavery, going across the Red Sea, being fed by manna from heaven, being led at night by the fire in the daytime by the cloud, being provided for for 40 years, and yet constantly and repeatedly, they turned their hearts away from God. It says they hardened their hearts and they entered into sin. They continually stopped looking at his goodness and they continually needed to be uh, reminded by putting God to the test time and time again. They kept saying, well, the other nations have this. The other nations have a king. The other nations have this. And so continually, all the time, they're building idols made by their own hands, trying to put their attention on something that they can hold and that they can see. There was a need to be in control. And often we find ourselves in that same exact situation. They continually found themselves in a place where they didn't trust God to be God despite all that he continually did for them. But often our sin is the very same. We have an opportunity constantly to put our trust in him. Yet as a matter of learned behavior or reliance on the flesh and sometimes bad theology, we have allowed an incomplete and a subpar view of God to become our reality. And the results for us are the very same that they were for the Hebrew people. You see, when they continually found themselves unable to enter into a place of trust in God, the result was that God said, they will never again enter my place of rest. You see, he spoke this over the Israelites in the wilderness. He said, they're never going to enter into this place of rest. And I just want to ask this question, what does this say about the significance of of rest for God, for this to be their punishment. You see, at other times in the Old Testament, we see that when Israel sinned, there was an immediate consequence. Some people lost their lives. That there were times where plagues would come in and leprosy would come in and and fill the camp. There were times where there was a very specific response to this. But this moment in time was different. He said, they're not going to enter into my rest. It was a prolonged result of their decision. And the reason is, is because continually they entered into this place of not being able to trust God. It was a continued behavior, and the desire of their behavior was ultimately to enter into a place of security. Why did they keep looking to idols? 
Why did they keep going after the gods of other nations? It's because they were trying to grab a hold of something that was never ultimately within their grasp. They were trying to go into a place of rest. And yet the more that they trusted in their own ability, the farther away the true rest of God actually got from them. I think it's something for us to pay attention to in our lives because how often are we chasing security in the things of this world, trying to enter into a place of rest, and yet the more that we invest in these things, the more that we go after them, the more anxious we become. The more our life seems to be uncertain, the more that we worry about tomorrow and and about the future and what's going to come next. It's really easy to point to finances in this because we all know what it's like. But how much is ever enough for us to be able to rest? Ask somebody who has nothing and ask somebody who has everything. You see, our ability to rest is not in our ability to acquire and our ability to hold on to something with our hands and our ability to be able to have what somebody else has. Our ability to rest comes from understanding, from coming into that reality of who Jesus is, what he's already done, and what has been made available for each one of us when we said yes to him. See, at the heart of our inability to rest is this thought process that when I'm in control... I can arrange everything the way that it needs to be. And once everything is lined up perfectly, then I can trust what God has for me. We often blame the world for this, don't we? The the thought process that I'm eventually going to come to Jesus, but what do I have to do first? I have to get my life in order. right? Once I get my life in order, then I can come to church. Once I stop doing all these other things that I'm doing, then I'll be able to come before God, right? But how often does it ever happen? Rarely, prayerfully more as we, as we get involved in their lives, right? But we blame them for this, but then we come into Christianity and we do the same thing. We accept Jesus into our hearts. We know that we've been forgiven. We know what has been made available to us in concept. And yet we're still trying to get our life together. We're still trying to check off all of the boxes so that then we can enter into his goodness. If I don't wake up at 5.30 every morning this week and pray, read my Bible, do my devotions... If I don't make the right decision in every situation, what happens to you when you go before God and you ask him for something? Is there anyone else in this room that thinks back to your past week and thinks, oh man, I did that wrong and that wrong and that wrong. We're trying to get everything in order in order to receive what God already has for us instead of resting in his finished work and going out of a place of obedience from the place of rest. Exodus chapter 20 says that God worked for six days. It says it in Genesis 2, but we quoted Exodus earlier. He says he worked for six days, and on the seventh day he rested. So what day did he create Adam? Day six. 
So what was Adam's first official day on earth? Day seven. What was day seven? The Sabbath. It was the place of rest. Which means that God worked, he created man, and man's official starting place was a place of rest. That was the beginning of man's journey on earth. And yet so often we're trying to go back and do days one through six on our own to get to day seven. When God says day seven is the starting point. The place of rest in what I've done is the starting point. Do you want to do all the things I've called you to do? Well, you got to get the rest part taken care of. Do you want to accomplish all the things that I put in front of you? Do you want to overcome the battles? Do you want to see me in the midst of the circumstances? Well, you have to come back to this place of understanding what I did. Because Jesus did the same thing. Before we ever took our first breath on earth, he did everything that needed to be done. So the first day of our walk with God, our salvation, is out of a place of rest and trust in him. If the body of Christ is ever going to effectively walk into the destiny that God has for us, we have to stop talking about the cross and all that it's accomplished and start to live out of the fullness and the completion of what Jesus did before we ever even said yes to him. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? The rest has to become a part of our life and we can't look at it as an optional extra anymore. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Seems like a very, very stern warning. But we've seen it happen before, haven't we? Men and women come to Jesus, they say yes. But the journey gets so difficult in their own strength and their own ability. The journey becomes so hard and they run out of steam and they run out of the ability to keep doing it on their own. And what happens? They step away. We have to be aware of the condition of our heart. We have to be aware of the places that we've said, yes, Jesus, I trust you. And then we've entered into our own strength and ability. Lest we go into a place of blaming God for what he did not do because we tried to do it on our own and we attributed it to him. True rest. True rest comes from trust. Psalm chapter 40 verse 4 says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. I like the way he says that. Make the Lord his trust. Not just to trust in the Lord, but to make trust synonymous with the Lord, that in order for us to be able to trust in anything in this life, it comes from him. You see, when we say trust, we have to think back to the one who is more trustworthy than anyone else who's ever lived, than any system, than any situation, than any source of strength that we could ever have. It comes solely from him. And it says to not be those who go astray after a lie. What is the lie? 
It's the trust in anything or anyone else. The lie is any other place that we go to in order to find our strength, to find our rest, to find our hope. See, the more that we go after these things that seem to be our strength and our hope, the more that we go after the systems of this world, the more that we try to accumulate enough money, the more that we try to accumulate enough good works in order to feel good before God, the more we enter into not his rest, but artificial rest, counterfeit rest, something that is meant to provide some level of restoration internally, but only causes more shame, more anxiety, more fear. It's the things that we go to because we think they're going to make things better, but ultimately they make things worse. There's no life in them. Isaiah chapter 31 verses 1 through 3 says, What sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help, trusting their horses, chariots, charioteers, and depending on the strength of human armies instead of looking to the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. In his wisdom, the Lord will send great disaster. He will not change his mind. He will rise against the wicked and against their helpers. For these Egyptians are mere humans, not God. Their horses are puny flesh, not mighty spirits. When the Lord raises his fist against them, those who, will help, those who help will stumble and those being helped will fall. They will all fall down and die together. Isn't that the uplifting word you were looking for this morning? Those who trust in Egypt, the systems of this world, the things that are meant to bring hope and security are the ones who are going to recognize very quickly that when those things fall, the very places that they had invested their hope, the very places that they had invested their trust are going to fail them as well. See, we have to understand that our trust cannot be placed in anything besides God, besides the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, who rose again and gave us the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit that now lives inside of us. We have to know the truth. We have to understand that anything outside of God is a temporary solution that is going to cause us more pain, more distrust, more anxiety going forward. It can't be money, relationships. It can't be a fantasized idea of what our lives should look like. It can't be the government or the next political leader. It can't be our religious ability to do things right. It has to be found in Christ, in Christ alone. You see, we know what these areas of artificial rest look like. They look like distraction. They look like Netflix. They look like the internet or whatever app you have on your phone. They look like alcohol and pornography. They look like overdoing, overeating, overshopping, over this, over that, whatever the over might be. The things that help us disengage from the reality of what we see and so that we have to just go unconscious so that we don't feel the pain of what it is that we're going through or the fear of what it's going to bring. See, that is not a place of rest. And so in order to find out how it is that we get to this place of a lack of trust, we really do have to look at our belief systems. 
And unfortunately, this message is going to be one big introduction to get us to that point because there are some specific things that I want to look at. But I want to look right now at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Because what we have to realize is that in order to see what is genuine, in order to see the reality of what Christ has done for us, We have to be able to see what is genuine and real in order to identify what is artificial and counterfeit. Ephesians chapter 3, chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's a really good start, right? He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Do we know the reality of what this is saying? To be holy and blameless in Christ. Once again, what is the starting place? What's day one for us as Christians? It's the understanding of what Christ has already done. Holy and blameless in him in love. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is not us getting everything in place so that we can trust God. This is us understanding what has already been done in Christ, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He goes on to speak about our inheritance in Christ. Chapter 2 talks about the fact that it is by grace. We have been made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 9, not as a result of your works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. But grace was given to each one of us. Chapter 4 according to the measure of Christ's gift. He has given us the grace that we need. Our starting place cannot be what we can do in order to get to a place where we can trust in him. Our starting place has to be that we recognize what he has already done. The fact that we are now in Christ. The fact that our starting place is in him. We either believe that he has come into our hearts to dwell inside of us, church, or we don't. We either believe that he has done all that he said that he has done, or our lives are going to look more like our ability and our strength and, and our ability to do what needs to be done instead of trusting in him. We have to recognize any place in our life where our thoughts and our belief systems have pushed us more towards our own ability than it has to him. Watchman Nee says it this way. My mom was telling me the other day, you need to read Sit, Walk, Stand again. And I was like, that's a really good book. If you haven't read it, you should read that book. But I'm just going to give you a small quote here today. 
It says the Christian life from start to finish is based upon this principle of utter dependence upon the Lord Jesus. There is no limit to the grace God is willing to bestow upon us. He will give us everything, but we can receive none of it except as we rest in him. We have been seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's our position in him now. And it all begins at that act of salvation. It all begins in that moment where we say yes to him. But then the work internally begins to recognize any system in our life that either we have built, that we've learned, that we've been taught, that we've experienced in our lives, and to recognize any place where our own belief systems are not in alignment with the truth of the scripture that we just read. And that requires the Holy Spirit. Once again, we recognize today the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit fell upon those gathered together in the upper room. When he fell upon them as if it were tongues of fire, that they were given an ability to speak and to communicate with God in unknown tongues. And then they saw the impact on the world around them as thousands came to know Jesus. That same Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts chapter 2 is the same Holy Spirit that is present and available to each one of us as we say yes to him. It's that Holy Spirit that brings us to the place of seeing any area in our lives where we have believed a lie instead of the truth of what God has spoken. It's through the Holy Spirit that we are able to stand firmly knowing that we have been sealed, that we have been equipped, and that we have been placed in Christ to know the truth of what he has said.